Tyler, would you recommend this? I'd rather be doing anything else. Uh, stop. All right, that's done. <laughs> Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallett. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sitkus. Together, we host the Silver Screensavers Podcast, a show about the world of cinema and a celebration of our love of movies. We will be doing reviews, previews, film news, special lists, and most of all, we want to hear from you. We'll be breaking down the box office hits and hopefully helping you discover some movies that you may not have otherwise seen. Later on, we're going to be doing a review of Dune and sharing our top three book-to-movie adaptations. Uh, But first, Matt, you have a dedication that you would like to do. Yes, so for those of you who have, may not have heard, last week uh, Life Was Lost on a movie set for an upcoming movie called Rust. Um, this was due to a prop failure. Given that we are a pod that cares deeply for movies and everyone involved, we just want to take a moment to dedicate this episode to Helena Hutchins, her family, and everyone else who was physically or emotionally hurt following the tragic event that took place last week on that movie set. Thanks. Yes, thank you very much for that. Um, and now we are going to move into what have we been watching this week. So Tyler, why don't you start us off? I actually finally got around to watching Squid Game. So okay. <laughs> and what'd you think? I, I thought it was really good. I thought it, the the whole VIP nonsense really took me out from. <laughs> really, really, you didn't like that part. No, first of all, they were terrible. And why would they come in at the last game? Yeah, <laughs> like, I yeah you're right. I don't understand the story there. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. Because rich people are bad. That's the, <laughs> that's the whole point. I'm still one and a half episodes in the Squid Game. I also watched The Last Duel. <laughs> great, great movie. Uh, you can expand more on that, Mike. I know you also saw it. So, um, but Yeah, we... Uh, I was going to say, this is... Last was a really great movie. Big underperformer at the box office, unfortunately. Um, I would have liked to have seen it, um, you know, make more. We will be talking about that movie more uh, when House of Gucci comes out to re- new Ridley Scott movies. So we'll be kind of pairing those. Um, but in the meantime, if you like epics, if you like sort of undermining of epics um, and that sort of thing, then please check out The Last Duel. Help that make some money. I just have one more, if that's all right. Uh, yeah, I think it's okay. All right. Uh, the movie, I'll allow it. Uh, Blue Ruin from 2013. Oh. Uh, just a fantastic movie. It really takes like the revenge genre, but then puts it on, like, what if the average person was trying to commit revenge? And, like, just really badly done. And, like, uh, it's just a really well-tense thriller that's really cool. Guy tra- gets it, his whole family gets killed by a guy who gets released it was like 20 years ago and now he's getting released on a plea deal so he basically tries to take it in his hands to take him and his family out and it just doesn't go well great movie i recommend it yeah absolutely that comes to us from uh jeremy saulnier if that's how you pronounce it uh who's also the director of a movie that matt talked about last time green room oh yeah and with that matt what have you been watching this week um so i was on vacation for most of the past week or so 
So I didn't really get around to watching too much besides whales because I went on a whale watch out in the Cape. Um, but we stayed in an Airbnb that was actually right down the street from where the first half of the newest season of American Horror Story was filmed. Oh, so awesome. on our way into town every day, we walked right by that house that is featured prominently in that in that show, in that season of season ten of American Horror Story, which I have not watched yet, unfortunately. But I walked by the house, so that's something. What's the theme of this one? It's a double feature. Um, so I know, oh, like yes. the first the yeah, first yeah. half is supposed to take place in like right in Provincetown, which is where we were we were staying yeah. and spending our time. Um. And actually, you know what? One other thing that I started watching is Aquafina is Nora from Queens. Oh, yeah. It was a Comedy Central show, but they dropped um, they just dropped the second season on HBO Max, and I started watching it from the beginning. Aquafina, I love Aquafina. She's hilarious. It's very well written. Very, the actors that are in her are funny. Her little the actress that plays her grandma is hilarious, and her dad is also played by B D Wong, who. Oh yeah, awesome. Who is great in all the stuff he does. So that that's what I've been kind of picking away at for like a new sitcom. It's pretty good. I recommend it. All right, Noah from Queens, check it out. Um, I watched a few movies this week. I watched, in addition to The Last Duel with Tyler, I watched uh, The Stepfather, which is a horror movie from 1987. Um, this, is about, <laughs> this is about a man who marries widows and or divorcees to like become the father of their family stop laughing this is actually a serious issue that goes on all around the country there's a rampant rampant (laughs) epidemic with it and so he but whenever like the family inevitably disappoints him as all families are wont to do he just kills them and moves on to the next family and this was actually a really entertaining movie i had one just major major quip with it is that when he's with his new wife who's like uh the other main protagonist in the movie they're watching tv in bed at night and it's a show that has a talking horse on it and he goes, oh, I used to love this show as a kid. You know, I didn't even know until high school that horses couldn't talk. And right then, the movie should have been over. She should have gone, okay, clearly you're a serial killer. And, like, you need to go. And then the movie would have been over. We could have skipped the entire second half. I didn't know until high school that horses couldn't talk. What is the reaction to that? She's just like, oh. <laughs> Let's stay married. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And there's... I, briefly, I watched the, the remake, which is from like 2009 or something, and they didn't reuse that line of dialogue, which I don't know when you're... When you have pearls like that in, in an original, I don't know why you don't put that in the script. Now, now that I'm thinking about it, I think I did see the remake, and I didn't remember that part, so that's probably why it didn't stick with me as much, because I'm sure it absolutely there, would have stuck with me had I heard that line of dialogue. There are, there are other reasons why that movie probably didn't stick with you. <laughs> Um, but I also, Tyler and I watched The Night House, which is in the running for most disappointing of movie of the year it for me. that bad. No, it's not worst movie of the year. Bad. Most disappointing. I waited for this thing for months. That's true. All right. I, I love Rebecca Hall. I talked about Christine on another episode. Rebecca she has Hall passing. Was great in it, though. 
she was good the movie like hinges on just like the worst twist (laughs) and like it doesn't make any sense and by the end of it, you're like, oh, what, what, what is that? <laughs> That's exactly the reaction. <laughs> yeah, that was it. We were like, what? I'm not gonna spoil it. At the same time, you can check it out for yourself. I do want to highlight one positive because I, I am not, not for bashing movies. I love to celebrate movies, and there are certainly things to celebrate in the Night House. It's not all bad. It was just a couple of things that got me. But I did watch a movie. Um, called Lorelei. This comes to us from Sabrina Doyle. Um, and this is about a man played by Pablo Schreiber uh, who has just gotten out of jail after 15 years. He meets up with his old girlfriend played by Jenna Malone who now has three kids. Um, it's about him rebuilding his life. They have a makeshift family. They come to terms with the past and having to let go of dreams um, and come to terms with what your life is now while still trying to make something worthwhile. It is, I, I would say, one of the best movies I have seen all year. Um, from what I saw, it made $12,000, and part of that is limited theatrical release, um, definitely COVID push pushback stuff. Uh, but if you can and you are into kind of... Um, maybe understated dramas, or even if you're not and you want to check it out, please do. I got it on Vudu for only $4.99, and it was more than worth it. So Lorelai, it's the kind of movie that uh, makes me very excited for what Sabrina Doyle is going to do next. And it has Sunny D in it. Not enough movies really featuring Sunny D. The beverage, or is this like a, yeah, the an beverage. actor I'm unaware of? <laughs> no, like the beverage. That's what I was thinking too. Like, like, who's like they have su- Sunny D person here? No, nobody can really upstage the drink. It's the power of the sun, guys. All right, come on. I also, I was also confused. I thought you were just telling us Jenna Malone now has three kids, and I'm like, that's just an interesting bit of trivia. I did not. No, no, realize in the movie. No, I don't just switch from describing (laughs) fiction to Jenna Malone's real life in mid-sentence. I just. I do. So you know, it threw me off. That'd be some cutting edge podcasting right there. All the three kids are named after shades of blue. I'm not going to share them. You're going to have to watch the movie to find out. Please support it. I know two of All them. Right. I have, they have to be. What? Indigo and Violet. It's, it's just neither of them. Are you serious? You're really just 0 for 2 on that one. <laughs> Oof. All right, we're going to move now to some movie trailers. First one is Ambulance, the it new looks... film from oh, Michael man. Bay. What did you guys think about this? What's there to think about? It's Michael Bay. So just to give some context, uh, definitely go watch the trailer, but it is about two men who are veterans, I believe, and one of them really needs money for his family, and so his his friend or somebody he knows convinces him to i thought it was, I don't like, sorry i thought it was his adopted brother maybe it's his okay I, was that made adopted. clear i thought it meant like brothers just because they were close I, 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 oh i don't, I don't he know. picked up the phone he was like hello adopted brother <laughs> would you like to rob a bank today I, but it's not even a bank what are they robbing uh, the federal trust i believe the federal so they're robbing the federal trust and things go awry and they end up in an ambulance with a wounded police officer and an EMT that's just trying to save the day, I guess. And I, Jake Gyllenhaal, 
really just looks like he's given 200% in this movie. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And can I just say I have an issue with the line, and it's very Michael Bay, very ham-fisted. We're not ramming that ambulance. There's a brother cop on board. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the thing is, is that I wouldn't mind one bit if it's really a fake out. We go in, they do like five minutes of Hall and Yaya Abdul-Mateen, and then Will Smith and Martin Lawrence show up, <laughs> and it's just a bad boys film. They move to I LA mind now. That at all. Yeah, that would be fine. They're they're done. You know what I find interesting about this trailer is like at the end the ambulance like the L.A. turns a different color. Like there's a six billion movies in L.A. Why like, that's, why are you like highlighting that it's in L.A. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. It's not as though. Do you think any person in the world? was like eh, not interested oh it's in los angeles <laughs> every person who lives in every every person who lives in los angeles that is a dodgers slash lakers fan absolutely like oh i love that city yeah <laughs> yeah but it's, you can't act like we're not the same way with boston i mean i i don't go out of my way to watch movies just because they're based in boston i also, never saw I... r.i.p.d what what word would the, the title have to be for you to highlight Boston in it? I gotta come up with something. Oh, fair. That one would be tough, and it would have to be like all over. So it would be like diagonal B O and like S is in, on the left, and can, you have to go on the right. Can you imagine T. that playing in like a Southie movie theater though? And people are like, oh, yeah. <laughs> people jumping out of their seats. Well, that's just like in, in Pig when, I'm, I'm not going to say the line, but when Seattle is mentioned, <laughs> yes, and Nick Cage goes, F Seattle. I'm just, <laughs> was there a theater in Seattle? Be- what? Yeah, tons of outrage in the city of Seattle. Nick Cage is canceled in Seattle. Well, I, I'm surprised I hadn't heard about Ambulance before, um, considering it is a Michael Bay project, but, but Michael Bay has been kind of lost in Transformer mode for the past few years now i think he's he did one like covid movie um that was not well received and so oh, songbird yeah songbird um so i guess maybe I the guess, ambulance is a transformer that's the it's the twist yeah, that's it's the c there is going to be an, another transformer film fun Why? fact it's like re- release of the beasts or something it's like <laughs> no it's gonna be it's gonna be the transformers it's going to star Robert Pattinson. <laughs> it's going to star Idris Elba as Optimus Prime. Who are you? I'm Optimus Prime. <laughs> All right, the next trailer I wanted to talk about is Being the Ricardos, uh, which is Aaron Sorkin's film about uh, Lucille Ball, about Desi Arnaz. And I, do you guys think that Nicole Kidman is a good Lucille Ball? I have to see it. I, yeah, yeah. I, I I didn't get that much from the trailer personally, but I'd have to have so, more. So this is what was really interesting about this movie to me. Not even the premise or any of that stuff. It's it's this trend that Aaron Sorkin has been going on in like the entire 21st century of doing like just taking these real life stories and turning them into movies. Yeah. Because so if we look at the first few Sorkin movies, here they are: A Few Good Men. Malice, The American President, The Rock, Bullworth, Enemy of the State. You know, these are all these uh, 
excuse me, for the most part, these, you know, fictional stories either adapted from his play or original screenplays. And then he just turns, in 2007, he's got Charlie Wilson's War, which is based on real events, The Social Network, Moneyball, Steve Jobs, Molly's Game, The Trial of Chicago 7, and now Being the Ricardos. They're all oh, real-life yeah, things. That's weird. It's like know. this really sudden shift, and I'm like, I, I don't mind it because I've liked his last few films. Uh, Moneyball is perhaps my favorite sports movie written with Steven Zalian, who I also love, but it's like, I, I want to see an original Sorkin story again. Uh, was that the Michael Bay's The Rock? That he, was that yeah, The Rock. He wrote that? Yeah, he at least co-wrote it. I did not hmm. know that. Me neither. I love that movie. <laughs> Unless, well, I mean, full disclosure, I'm on Wikipedia right now. Oh, it was, he was uncredited. <laughs> so he had to have done some work on it. Maybe he didn't want to be credited he with writing a Michael Bay movie. Yeah, but if he just wrote the the line "Welcome to the Rock," then I would I would fight for credit on that. <laughs> All right, and lastly, we have Uncharted, oh. based on the the famed video game series. Uh, we have Tom Holland, we have Mark Wahlberg, we have so many multiple scenes in this trailer of just. Tom Holland falling out of planes. To be Multiple. fair, that is very Uncharted. Uncharted is just the, the entire gameplay is you just falling out of things. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, the, the the plane is from the game. You fall off a train, you fall off a jeep on the train track. <laughs> I'll ask you guys this. If you guys are a fan of like a video game, and we'll see this again with Raccoon City, um, is that do you guys need a movie of a game that you like? absolutely not no need no um i think i think what they should do if they're doing it is make one in universe but like a different story than the one you've played kind of like a side story i think that's cool and i thought that's what hbo was doing with the last of us but it seems like they're just making the game again which i mean i played the game i already got great performances like the voice actors were phenomenal i don't need to see it like (laughs) yeah it's just weird because it's like with games there's the element the fourth dimension of interactivity with it whereas like you strip that away when it's a movie you're just watching it no control and especially now games are as cinematic as ever like i mean yeah they look they look realistic i mean there's not that much of a difference from seeing a real person doing it versus like 4k character that they created yeah I think that would be an interesting conversation for us one day. It would be Absolutely. video game movies. Are there any good ones? Um, so if, if listeners, if you guys are interested, certainly let us know and we can arrange that. Mortal Kombat 2021. Hey, full disclosure, I like that. Yeah, same. Was that 2021? Yeah, that was oh this my year. God, that feels like a year ago. Because it was one of, the, one of the Warner Brothers oh, HBO yeah, Max yeah. releases. Wow. Uh, which another one we're going to get to later in the show. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Mm-hmm. I did just full want circle. to mention as far... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying it was coming full circle. <laughs> it is coming full circle. I did want to mention, uh, Tyler, for you, Lamb is Iceland's pick, their submission for the international feature Oscar. I don't um, understand that. I I haven't mentioned this before, but I'm a freak for the Oscars. I love them. I love thinking about them. I love watching them. <laughs> and so I am interested in all this stuff. If you are too, then certainly we can talk. Um, but 
Tyler and I not not a fan of Lamb. No, it was not at all what I was expecting it to be. Oh, I think this might actually rival The Night House for most disappointing movie of that's, the year. That, because... That's definitely my dis- most disappointing. Yes. I thought I was going to get this insane like horror like movie and like no, that's I got a family drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that wasn't was... even a good drama. Well, part of the issue is that this is one of the best trailers I've seen in like a very yes. long time. It's like such a good use of God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. Slowly and distorting. Then, yeah, and then you just don't get that energy no. whatsoever. There's like from the no movie. suspense even in that. No. There's like one scene that could kind of be, and then you forget about it in the next scene. Yeah, I do want to go to the other side of the coin, positive, and say that Titan is French's is that, France. That's gonna win. That better win. <laughs> I hope it. I if if you guys have seen it, you'll know. But like, I can't imagine some of the Academy members like stomaching <laughs> some of the stuff that's in that movie and then going, "Yeah, that's the best one." It's France. I mean, they gotta be expecting. <laughs> but I am I am mega excited to see how that category shapes up. For the 2022 Oscars and uh, as always watch international features okay but now before we get to our review of Dune we are going to talk about our top three book to movie adaptations Dune is of course based on the novel by Frank Herbert um, I have read it. it is one of the most cerebral books I have ever read um, and it is one of these that is so fascinating to adapt because there's so much lore, there's so much uh, sort of mental things going on that are so hard to depict visually. Uh, and so it got us thinking about book adaptations. We have gotten a bunch this year. I'm just going to list a few off here. Uh, first of all, last year's Best Picture winner, Nomadland, based on a great nonfiction book by Jessica Bruder. I mentioned that on another episode. But we've got in Those Who Wish Me Dead, which, Matt, give us your two seconds on Those Who Wish Me Dead. Um, You know, I remember not liking it, but I can't remember what I didn't like about it, so I guess it was fine. Okay, but Tyler Perry was your favorite part. Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. Uh, the White Tiger, Penguin Bloom, The Dig, Things Heard and Seen, uh, French Exit with Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, Monster, the Walter Dean Myers book, got an adaptation this year. Our beloved Fear Street, Fear Street, and The Last Duel. And last but not least, uh, there is going to be the Clifford, the Big Red Dog movie, coming out in November. They had moved it, but now it's getting released again. So, so we're put, we're reviewing that that one, right? Well, it will be on Paramount Plus, so we don't we don't have to do that oh, thing shoot, where we're like that. embarrassed oh. embarrassed single men going to see. <laughs> Clifford the Big Red Dog. <laughs> what do you think if, the guy at uh, Cinemark would say? Would it be better or worse if we went together? <laughs> I, I don't know. Then, then a single, one single man. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's a hard one, actually. That's a hard one. You're right, though. What would, I, what would the Cinemark ticket taker say? That's, that's a... I have a story for another day about a, a ticket taker there. Uh, but we are going to get into our favorites. Some of the most famous movies ever are based on books. Books are often the lifeblood of this industry. Uh, and there have just been some fantastic ones. I love it the most old. when a book... <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. Old is a graphic <laughs> novel. I can't believe you didn't I, mention I, that. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't mention that either. Old, thank you for, for catching that. Old is based on a graphic novel. Pushed by Sapphire. 
Yes, based on the novel push. <laughs> you really pulled that one from deep inside your your hat. That wasn't this year, though. That was many. I, years I just ago. remember how many times did they say that during the Oscars that year? I, so many. It's really just. Well, that was. I can't remember last year. It was during one of, I don't think it was the Oscars, but it was during another like nominations announcement where they announced the whole Borat sequel title where it's like Borat subsequent movie fill give gift for, you know, the make yes. better of. Yeah. And like they would read the whole thing every time oh, and like, no. stop. <laughs> it's ridiculous. That was one yeah. of my favorite movies from last year. I like that one a lot too. So uh, I'm brief tangent. Uh, Maria Bakalova, like people were saying forever, like oh Oscar nom, Oscar nom. Within like five minutes of seeing her in that movie, I was like, okay, she's got it, she's got it. Yeah, she was amazing, and uh, Sacha Baron Cohen was as well for the second time around. All right, we're gonna get to our top threes, maybe some more, maybe some honorable mentions. Why don't you start us off? All right, so my pick is Watchmen, which was a, a comic book series that ran from 1986 to 1987. It was eventually compiled into one singular graphic novel. Um, it was by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. And it basically it follows an alternate history where superheroes it basically existed. There were superheroes, vigilantes that fought crime and, among other things, helped the U.S. win the Vietnam War um, before vigilantes and superheroes were outlawed by the government and oh. forced to go either go underground or made into basically government agents. And the basic plot is it starts out with a former one of the former heroes, the comedian played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan, being murdered, and it follows Rorschach, who's um, played excellently by Jackie Earl Haley, even though he's under a mask the whole time. But the way he just he physically acts it is fantastic. Um, and the new Night Owl, played by Patrick Wilson, um, and basically there, it's like a without spoiling it too much, it's like a big, almost noir kind of mystery narrative to try and figure out who's killing all these superheroes. Um, and without spoiling it too much they find out and there's a big existential question that it brings about what world peace is worth um like i said it's excellently acted by jeffrey dean morgan jackie earl haley patrick wilson the movie and the graphic novel they follow they follow a pretty similar trajectory of pretty similar narrative up until about the ending which is kind of a bit which where they it it ends up going to the same place about what world peace is worth but they do it in two drastically different ways and the graphic novel definitely does a more cartoonish kind of comic booky way where the movie kind of grounds it in more realism for at least as much realism as you can get for a comic book adaptation but both very good pieces of work. I recommend both. 
And I also recommend checking out, if you like Watchmen, to definitely check out the series as well from Damon Lindelof on HBO, which features Regina King, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, Jeremy Irons, Gene Smart, and my personal favorite character from that show, Looking Glass, played by Tim Blake Nelson. Oh, I love Tim Blake Nelson. Michael we're, we're... Don Johnson. <laughs> we're, I'm hoping we can watch Old Henry uh, oh, later this year. I forgot Don Johnson was in that, honestly. No, Tim Blake Nelson. No, but <laughs> no, but Tyler said oh. Don Johnson. Oh, I see. All right, yeah, I like it when the 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 when the book and the movie diverge a little bit because otherwise, like, I already read the book. I don't need to see the same exact thing on screen. All right, Tyler, what's your number three? My number three, and I think this is absolutely a case of where I like the book a lot better than the movie, but I did enjoy the movie. Um, and that's 1962's uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, by Rob- oh. uh, directed by Robert Mulligan, um, which was based on the very well-known novel by Harper Lee. Um, but it honestly, I think it Gregory Peck's portrayal is just like one of the most true, like that's exactly what I thought of when I thought of Atticus Finch. I think that's such a great portrayal from a book to movie um so i think that is i mean he carries the movie honestly i i think i wouldn't have liked it much without his portrayal because um i think really the book the the main flaw that i think that the movie focuses on i get it it's a movie it can't focus on all the book topics but it basically just focuses on the trial for the most part and then the direct aftermath where it kind of leaves out a lot of the especially like because you the point of like the focus was shifted from scout more to atticus and I think that left yeah. it out. I think it was, I, I actually read a review at Robert, uh, Robert, <laughs> Roger Ebert did in 2001. Yeah. Um, I remember reading a while ago and I had to look it up just to refresh myself on it. But, um, and basically just called that, like, that was a f- big flaw of the thing was uh, shifting the focus that like now it's like an adult um, right. Scout Finch narrating it. And he said like the, the tale is more like believable when told from like a six year old. Because right, you're not getting, yeah, you're getting like It's about childhood. Yeah. And like, yeah. he basically calls into like the fact that like how the case ends and stuff is more just how Scout would believe that's, that's how it ended. Like to believe that right. he actually escaped and got shot escaping wouldn't be how, it, like Atticus wouldn't believe that. And I thought it was a really insightful, like just look into it and that how it did change the thing when you focus right. it like from a different person, different perspective, an adult perspective. And also, like, Atticus has this, like, kind of godlike figure. That's exactly like, it, too. Yeah, he can do no wrong. It's a you know, white it's... savior kind of thing. Like, especially yeah. when they start cheering him at the end, like, they just came up with a guilty verdict and, like, you're, like, cheering the guy who defended him only. Like, <laughs> I would have loved it if when Boo Radley came out of the shadows, Jem and Scout were like, Robert Duvall, oh my God. And they tried <laughs> and, to get and his, his first ever, His first ever yeah. theatrical but they, they saw him on, they saw him on stage before <laughs> that would have that would have made everything else absolutely no yeah. i just i i do think there is a huge flaw with the with the movie but i mean gregory peck's performance is incredible yeah absolutely uh oh also revitalized uh on the stage by aaron sorkin so <laughs> another kind of interesting caveat in that career all right, uh, I will do an honorable mention before I get uh, to my number three. I'm going to mention the, the movie and book, both titled Revolutionary Road. 
This is a novel by Richard Yates. Uh, and the movie is directed by Sam Mendes and written by Justin Haith. Um, this is about a nuclear family in 1950s suburbia. Leonardo DiCaprio plays a kind of semi-salesman at a job he can't stand. And it's like one of those corporate jobs that you're not even ever really entirely sure what it is. Uh, Kate Winslet plays his wife, who's a former actress uh, and is now a homemaker. And they are kind of stuck in suburbia and sort of the, the droll deadness of it. They make a plan to move to Paris. Um, and so things are so hopeful and, um, you know, things kind of start to fall apart. I'm not always a big fan of like the suburbia actually sucks kind of subgenre of things, but I think this movie does it so well. Um, and it's, it's so good at getting to this human thing we have of like, we're so averse to change, even if it's a positive change, like in this small way we're all kind of like afraid of actually achieving our dreams and we kind of self-sabotage in certain ways all the time um, and this movie does that incredibly it has one of like the best ending shots that just like sums up the whole movie um, and I was not expecting it and the book itself is absolutely incredible this is one of those cases where um, you know both the book and the movie are fantastic and so that was pretty much my number four now I will go to my number three, which is one of my favorite books and movies of all time. This is Leaving Las Vegas. This is based on the novel by John O'Brien, um, and it was the movie was written and directed by Mike Figgis, um, who also did some other great movies, Internal Affairs, amongst others. Um, this is this is one of those movies that's really just about two characters. Um, one is Sarah, S-E-R-A, who is played by Elizabeth Shue, who gives just one of my favorite performances ever. Uh, she is a sex worker who uh, lives and works in Las Vegas. Uh, and Nicolas Cage, who plays Ben, um, who is an alcoholic screenwriter. His family has left him. He gets fired from his job, and so he decides to move to Las Vegas to drink himself to death. Um, they meet and they start a relationship as both of their lives kind of spiral downwards. Um, it's this really intense um, but hopeful story about loneliness and love. Uh, it's the music and the, the production design. It's really one of these movies that the world of it is so convincing and it, it's also about, you know, you just feel like it's two people who are in their own world. You know, sometimes we're fortunate in life to get to a place where you just feel like it's either just you or you and somebody else and there's really nothing else in the whole world and that's what this movie feels like uh this movie contains some of sting's best music so if you are a police slash sting fan then you really just need to get on this train wait so does he is he just doing the soundtrack or does he actually act in it no, he's not in it. It's just his his soothing voice. Oh, he's <laughs> just carrying his silver. I don't know if there were talks for him to be in it. I don't know which character he would have been. Um, but to my, I mean, maybe he's like an extra playing slots in the background or something. But his his voice really just does something special for this movie. Um, and I do want to provide a quote. Uh, Tyler, you referenced him before, but I want to quote Roger Ebert, who wrote about this movie. He says that it argues that even at the very end of the road, at the final extremity, we can find some solace in the offer and acceptance of love. 
and that's really what this movie is all about i could not have said it better than myself one of my favorites ever from 1995 it's leaving las vegas uh, is check that, out the book and the movie is that book written by john o'brien of bax and o'brien fame he is not oh, it is not sad. the same guy wanted some local shout outs no he's from california i believe oh man <laughs> All right, Matt, your number dos. All right, my next one on the list, I'm going to go with Zodiac. Nice. Based on the autobiography of one Robert Graysmith, who was a cartoonist for, uh, was it the L.A. Times? I think it was the L.A. Times, um, which was adapted into a movie in 2007 by David Fincher of Seven and Fight Club fame. Stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo. Um my three favorite MCU actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny. So um it uh so basically it's about Robert Graysmith. It kind of centers around Robert Graysmith who was played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who was a cartoonist at the LA Times who during the Zodiac Killer, the Zodiac Killer's Reign of Terror, um he would be sending in ciphers and making ominous messages for the media and Robert Graysmith basically became obsessed with trying to figure out the ciphers, trying to solve the mystery of the Zodiac killer. Um, and the movie does a really good job of portraying just how much it consumed his life and how desperately he wanted to get to the bottom of it and find the killer, um, to the point where it basically it ravages marriage um, he put himself in danger by actually going to meet with multiple people that he thought could have been the killer. Um, yeah. I also want to shout out that the actual the Zodiac scenes themselves, um, like any time they showed the Zodiac killer actually perpetrating the murders, like you, it's based on a real life killer, so you you know that there's a kill coming, and even so, it just the way david fincher uh just directs it it he does it in such a way it, it just constantly brooding constantly it's almost like it's almost like thriller horror aspects as well as yeah. just being like an, almost like a biopic but with horror yeah, elements horror and thriller this movie elements. is just absolutely terrifying mm -hmm. even when nothing is happening and then like the scene by the lake mm -hmm. is just like in broad daylight and you're like why is nobody else around but it's so it's so mm -hmm. terrifying there's a mood there's one of the as you mentioned um that he met with people that he you know was putting himself danger there's one scene where the first time i saw it i was like oh get out of there get out of there oh yeah oh yeah and, yeah oh it's yeah zodiac is a great pick all right tyler you're number two my number two is one of my favorite movies of all time uh, it's actually 1994's Shawshank Redemption, directed by Frank Darabont, based on, I think it's called Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption by Stephen King. Yeah. Honestly, it's just one of my favorite movies of all time. I've seen it countless times. Um, I guess uh, from the book that like the the characters are really different described than Morgan Freeman and uh, Tim Robbins. Yeah, but, they are. Um, I mean, like, I can't read... I read the book after seeing the movie i've seen the movie so many times i just wanted to read the i think it's a novella it's it's pretty short um it is it's from if i can interrupt for a second yeah, for, it's from stephen king's book different seasons which has four novellas in it all based on one of the seasons of the year 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. And uh, no, that's fine. Um, and just the whole time I was reading it, I mean, I just pictured Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman as the characters. I think they were so well cast in those roles. Um, but it, it, honestly, the most striking difference to me was like the movie, like like the fates of characters, like the warden shoots. Oh, I'm spoiling the movie now. <laughs> Oh, come uh, on. Uh, what are you doing? Well, there's just... They want the Neho. <laughs> there's just characters that are dying in the movie that, like, that is not at all what happens in the book. Like, it's a much tamer yeah. thing, and I was just shocked by that. I, I mean, I, I, the direction was fine. I get it. Um, but that was definitely what stuck out to me for that. Yeah, and uh, Frank Darabont, a few years later, did another Stephen King adaptation, The Green Mile. Oh, yeah. And fun fact, uh, Tom Hanks originally slated uh, to play Dufresne in in the Shawshank Redemption, but couldn't do it. You know, for years, I I always used to, well, obviously I know now, but I always used to picture Tom Hanks in that role. And then, yeah. and then like one day I, I, yeah. I, I watched it again. I'm like, wait a minute, that wasn't Tom Hanks. I know. I think That's the it. Tom Hanks in the shower scenes would have would have been weird. I don't. I don't think it's any better. <laughs> no, Tim I'm not Robbins. saying that, but I'm just saying Tim Robbins. This happens to him a lot. Mystic River. <laughs> so, you know, it's just that's messed up. <laughs> Mystic Tom River. Hanks is... <laughs> we'll cut that. Oh man. Uh, we love Tim Robbins on the podcast, though. No he, love has, he has away. some bad experiences in New England. He should stand in New England in this movie. That's that's true. He does. <laughs> All right, nice pick. My number two is another one of my very favorite books ever and another one of my favorite movies. It is The Remains of the Day. This is a book by Kazuo Ishiguro, um, who just pick up any one of his books and read it, and you will be happy. He had a new one out this year called Clara and the Sun, and he just hooked me within the first 15 pages. He did it again, uh, and I was more than happy to, to fall under his spell. The movie, um, which is from 1993, it's directed by James Ivory and written by the great Ruth Prowler Javlava. Um, this is about an English butler, played by Anthony Hopkins. Uh, he's recalling his service in the house of an English lord uh, between, between world wars. And it's mainly focused around kind of looking back on the questionable actions of Lord Darlington, the man he served, and also the sort of subdued quasi-relationship he has with the housekeeper, Emma Thompson, which is my favorite part of the movie. Um, I have rarely seen two performances that are as equally matched as Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson in this movie. The The chemistry is electric. Uh, the subtlety is amazing. The book scene, for anyone who's seen it or is going to watch it, is I just could just watch it nine billion times and never get sick of it. Uh, the book is one of the best uses of first-person narration that I've ever read. Uh, it's told from the perspectives of Stevens, and his voice is just paramount in the messages that get across. Um, so this is The Remains of the Day, which I think is an underrated movie now. All right, finally time. Matt, you're number one. All right, so my number one, I'm going to go with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, specifically the 1978 movie, which was a remake of, I want to say, was it 1958 that the the first Body Snatcher movie came out? 
I probably should have done that research. 1956. 56. Okay. So that, oh wow, so that only came out a year after the initial novel, I think, I don't, either the novel or a short story, the initial book came out. Um, so there, the book came out in 1955, written by Jack Finney, um, which was made into a movie the next year. Um, and then the 1978 version that I'd like to, to highlight was actually a remake of the original movie. Um, but it stars Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Leonard Nimoy, Veronica Cartwright, and uh, relatively young Jeff Goldblum, which I didn't realize going into the movie until he came popped up on the screen. I'm like, hey, I know that guy. Um, so basically what it, it follows a lab scientist and her colleague dealing with an alien race of plant-based pod people that kills and then replaces humans in order to replicate and take over the world and consume our resources. Um, I also want to shout out the cinematography was done by a man named Michael Chapman, who also did a couple uh, pieces of work with Scorsese, including Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. Great. Um, and from what I read on the novel, I, I will be honest, I did not read the novel, but from what I read, the novel actually notes that the pod people only live for five years, so essentially... Besides just killing and replacing people, it's just making going to make the entire human race extinct within five years or so if it go if these pod people go unchecked. Um, it is also probably one of my favorite horror movies of all time, and there are some real gnarly parts, including. Um, well, have you two seen it yet? I have not. No. Not this version. Okay, so this version has. One of the most terrifying images of a dog with the face of a of a man. Are there other movies where there are dogs with faces of men? Yeah, what, what's competing? For this? I mean, I mean, um, oh no! Well, there's the Key and Peele sketch, right? There's that. <laughs> um, I've heard Color Out of Space has some gnarly looking stuff too. I haven't seen it yet, but. That's on my but list. But specifically, <laughs> human face on dog body. Um, I mean, I haven't seen the other body snatcher movies either, so who knows? Maybe oh, they okay. maybe they try to replicate it. But maybe. either way, um, yeah. So they never really explain it other than just like body snatcher shenanigans. That this, <laughs> yeah. So it has a, it features a dog running around with a human face, and it's just so grotesque and it's horrifyingly brilliant and of course the infamous scene that i'm sure even a lot of people that haven't watched the movie will probably be familiar with the scene that has donald sutherland's character his name is matthew um at the end of the movie when brooke adams's character i think it was her character and a couple other of the protagonists we've been following they've been able to successfully navigate this world full of pod people without being alluded to but, and this is going to be a big spoiler alert, but it's an old movie, so fine. It's fine. Um, she goes and she sees Donald Sutherland's character, Matthew, like across, like, she he's like maybe 12, 15 feet away from her or something like that. She goes, oh my god, Matthew, I'm so glad to see you. Which, um, what I shout out to the fact that the guy's name the is box. Matthew. Yeah. And he points at her with eyes open, mouth agape, just go, oh! And it is 
It's just such an iconic movie moment to me. And he has a dog's face. And, no, he does <laughs> he not have a dog's guy. face. No, that was a different scene. Oh, okay. Um, but it's just, it's wild. It's a wild movie. You gotta uh, keep your checks and balances with body snatchers, or else that's get all kinds of conflicts of interest. We oh are pod gosh. people here. Yeah, we are, we pod, are people. pod people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, if we were a video podcast, that would be much more effective. Of a that of is a the best medium. Donald Sutherland I have ever heard. Yeah, it's, it's spot on. I thought Donald Sutherland was joining. <laughs> He, I mean, yeah. he's he's also in one of my honorable mentions that I didn't get to put out, um, or I didn't necessarily write all my thoughts out on, but The Hunger Games. He is. I prefer um, Kiefer myself. No, right? nah, I'm Don, Donald is the best Sutherland. Nah, Kiefer, just like Kurt Kiefer's is the best Russell. Twenty four. It was a great show. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna say Designated Survivor. I never saw a, a single second of Lost this. Boys. <laughs> Stand by me. Oh, well, that's a great. St- great I, listen, we can talk about Stand by Me all day. That's fun fact. That is another one of the novellas in different seasons. Oh, really? Damn, it's stacked the uh, book. Yeah, it's we're, stacked. We're coming full circle all over the place today. I know, uh, and that's and that's the point of the 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 book as well. It's the four seasons all come back around. <laughs> all right, Tyler, why don't you give us your number one? Okay, this is a movie by my favorite directors of all time, the Coen Brothers. 2007's No Country for Old Men, based on the uh, book of the same name, I believe, by Cormac McCarthy. It is, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, which is another book that I read after, like, because I love the movie. Um, but um, I think the uh, biggest departure from the the movie to the book is the book is told by Sheriff Bell, which is played, who is played by Tommy Lee Jones in the movie, and he's really kind of sidelined in the movie doesn't have that like as big a role where it's like everything's told from his perspective in the book so it's kind of weird to see they do open with like the same narration kind of but um it's definitely interesting you see a lot more from his character's perspective like his backstory and everything that's just kind of ignored in the movie which narratively makes sense as a movie you do have to cut out parts and i think it did work out very well i do love the movie and um, one of the biggest changes, which is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is drastically different in the book, is the hotel scene. Oh, God. Which, I, I, not, like, I don't want to sound like I'm over-exaggerating it, but, I mean, that is the most tense scene I've ever seen. Um, every time I watch it, like, I, I never remember how long it is until it, like, happens. So, like, every yeah. time I watch it, I'm always like, whoop, I jump when the doorknob yeah. i don't want to spoil it it watch the movie but no yeah just watch it that's that's my uh that's that's your friday the 13th for me yeah yes like yeah. i could watch that scene a hundred times and i'll be shocked every time and i think it leads to one of the coolest shootouts I, I love cool movie shootouts i love when they're well done um and just it basically not to spoil much but like it's just a shotgun the big boom of a shotgun in the night versus like a suppressed um smg so like just that the difference between them it really like just adds this cool like you don't know what's when it's gonna come and then you just hear that blast and oh it's just so well done absolutely i agree it's it's a great book and the the funny thing about well not the funny thing but this was just a case where they didn't change certain things about the book which is like when you have gold like just use the gold like there are some dialogue scenes in the book that are just like word for word what they do in the movie, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this was so smart. 
you had all the right pieces and you just kept them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, awesome. All right, my number one is a movie from 2002. It is Adaptation, uh, which I have to break this down a little bit. This is based on a nonfiction book called The Orchid Thief by uh, Susan Orlean, who is a wonderful writer. Um, this is about sort of the orchid hunting industry. It follows different characters, different histories of why people treasure orchids, what people have done to get them. Um, it revolves largely around this man, John LaRoche, um, who, who Susan Orlean followed and interviewed and looked for orchids with. Um, it is an incredibly fascinating book. It contains one of my favorite nonfiction passages about Florida and how wild Florida is and how the wilderness of Florida is always overtaking the man-made stuff as the man-made stuff takes over the wilderness of it. Um, I listened to it on audiobook and it was wonderful. But the movie is very different from this um, and keep in mind the title is adaptation bear with me and please do not let this deter you from seeing the movie the movie does it much more gracefully than I'm about to describe it this is my second Nicolas Cage pick after leaving Las Vegas so Nicolas Cage plays Charlie Kaufman who is the actual screenwriter of this screenplay this was, I should mention, this is written by Charlie Kaufman, directed by Spike Jones, who hasn't directed enough movies, hmm. uh, but that's a conversation for another day. Charlie Kaufman, didn't he do um, Eternal Sunshine? He did. Okay. Yes, he did. Uh, which was another fabulous movie. But adaptation, Nicolas Cage plays Charlie Kaufman, who is trying and failing to adapt the Orchid Thief into a movie. He also plays his fictional brother, Donald, who's not a real person even though Charlie is, who's also trying to be a screenwriter. Meanwhile, Meryl Streep plays Susan Orlean, who's a real person, and she's trying to do the story on John LaRoche, who is also a real person. He's played by Chris Cooper, who is just firing on all cylinders in this movie. He is amazing. Uh, and so, But then Kaufman intersects with Orlean and LaRoche, um, and it's, it's about both about adapting a book to a movie um, and also about human and environmental adaptation, our capacity to change one way and then change back and then change to another thing. Uh, it's so just freaky and cerebral and so funny. Um, I don't know if Cage has ever been funnier than he is in this movie. Well, actually, another Coen Brothers, Raising Arizona. Um, <laughs> but adaptation is just a, a whirlwind, uh, and I love it every single time I watch it. You know, if you were to tell me, without going into the actual, like, synopsis of it, if you were to just tell me that to picture a movie with Charlie Kaufman, Spike Jones, and Nick Cage involved, that's probably about what I would have expected. Like, I probably could have yes. guessed that. <laughs> and if they did it all again, then I would just be. I, I I don't know if my brain could take it. I think I think uh, I know I'm gonna check that one out. That sounds interesting. Yeah, please do, and let me know what you think. And listeners, if you haven't seen it, please do. All right, so we are going to move now to another movie that is based on a book. This is based on the novel Dune by Frank Herbert, and the movie is Dune. All right, this is starring Tim Chalamet, Oscar Isaac, uh, Javier Bardem is in it, uh, Dave Bautista, noticing I'm naming actors that are only in it uh, for five minutes. It's got Zendaya for like, well, I won't say. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson. Rebecca Ferguson, who is, is killing it always. Um, this is, 
This is about an intergalactic political situation. Uh, it's about the House Atreides who are taking over the, the sand planet of Arrakis. And I think we should just leave it at that. Um, why don't we move into general thoughts? No spoilers for now. Uh, but Matt, what did you think of Dune? Um, so I went into it having not read the book nor seen the 1984 movie adaptation. Yes. Um, so it being, you know, pretty much new to all the source material and the lore, I thought it was actually pretty accessible. And I, I enjoyed it for the most part. So that's funny. And we'll get to this. I have read the novel. Um, I mentioned that before. And I thought the movie also did a pretty good job of like condensing a lot of the lore. But I couldn't tell if that was because I already had a familiarity with it. Familiarity with it. Or if that was because, you know, it was just pretty well explained. I don't, Tyler, what did you think? I think the, the lore aspect of it was decent. It wasn't that hard to follow. Um, I think yeah. they did do a decent job of just kind of explaining the basic, what you needed to know about. Um, I just I just found the movie incredibly boring. <laughs> uh, tried to keep myself from falling asleep during it throughout the film. Uh, you guys can't see this, but Matt did just like the ultimate pouty lip. <laughs> it was really sad to see. I just I, I feel like I saw a different movie than everyone else that's raising it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just didn't find it that, that that great. It was boring. The lore was good to follow. I just didn't really care about any of the lore. I never got hooked on any of the lore. Well, are you a sci-fi fan though? Like a, absolutely, like a strict like sci-fi, like deep fantasy. Yes, a hundred percent. You think so? Yep. And I did not get in care, hooked on any of that. So Tyler, you and I, we have discussed are of one mind of this movie. Yes. So I let me give you my two opinions. One is my lizard brain opinion, which is just my ex, my visceral experience of the movie. I went into a trance-like state in this movie. And I don't mean that in a good way at all. I was just like transfixed by like how much I was not into this movie. I almost fell asleep and I like never ever do that. Granted, I was tired um, and you know, it was the, it was the end of a week and I was tired, but I just, I, I wasn't into it. I thought the beginning was quite entertaining. It gets into a lot of the changing political situations of of this house is going to Arrakis and you learn the different the different peoples and the different abilities of people and that stuff was pretty cool it was pretty well explained um but you know in the in the latter half that just you, you this requires a lot of patience um and I have patience for a lot of other movies but not for this one I see I see a lot of uh, just reading reviews on like Twitter and stuff I see a lot of people saying like, oh, you know, if you didn't like it, it's because you only like Marvel movies where they're making jokes and there's explosions every 30 seconds. And I, I think the opposite. I think I would have liked the more political situation. Like, I wish they would have delved deeper into that. Yeah. Like, what, why the Emperor had that grudge and everything. I, I would have enjoyed does. that more. I, I think just the random instant war that I had no stakes because, like, I wasn't invested in these characters that I knew for 30 yeah. minutes. Like, I think that really ruined it. So I would have liked the more political. I didn't think they had to jump to the action, which the action, oh my God, those sword fight scenes were terrible. The the shields and the, the whacking each other with swords, that looks so bad. <laughs> so that's another aspect of this is the visual aspects. I will in no way at all deny 
that this is a technical achievement of a movie, but just from what I saw, I agree. The shield stuff where it's like flashing blue and red when they're fighting, I did not think that looked good. I thought it just made the action look blurry, and I, I was not into that. Matt, what did you think? I th- I thought it was fine. I don't know. Maybe it, <laughs> maybe I'm being overly optimistic about it. I thought it was fine. It reminded me of like, I mean, it reminded me of Star Wars, but maybe like the new Star Wars, as far as like quality. Like, I don't know. Because that's that's the bar. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm pretty. I think I'm a pretty easy to please person. I mean, there's not a whole lot. It takes a lot for me to really to to really dunk on a movie too hard. Um. As, as many people do know my opinion about Venom Two and Halloween Kills, uh, it is possible. But I think it usually a movie has to do a lot for me to hate it, and and not at least fine, be fine with it. I will agree. It, the runtime did definitely, it did definitely feel long. After, I like once once the movie got going, it just kind of crawled. And having just watched No Time to Die a couple weeks ago, which was a longer movie, and that also did drag at parts, um, Dune did feel longer than than No Time to Die did. I agree. But I'm willing to justify it because there's a lot more lore that needs to be thrown at you, and I think there's a lot more. There's a lot of stuff to. I thought like coming out of it, I'm like, I almost need to watch this again just because they threw a lot so much lore at you. And it's a lot to unpack, and. I'm curious. I guess I'm curious enough, and I-, I felt like I was interested enough to to the point where I think I would watch it again. And I'm, you know, and I w- also went into it expecting it, knowing there was going to be. This is only part one. I mean, they also said part one, right? It was like Dune part one, yeah. Which they didn't do so, in any of the marketing. None of the advertising. <laughs> but so I'm I, like, yeah, it's so. Did you have no idea before you went into the theater? No, I did. I had. A, I thought that the original plan was that they were going to do it in either two parts or three parts or whatever. Okay. Because I mean, it's sequ- it's uh, sequel fodder. It's trilogy. You know, I mean, it makes sense to make it into a trilogy considering how dense the book is supposed to be. Like, but do you think it's a purely like artistic choice to just name it Dune as instead of <laughs> instead of Dune Part One? I mean, it was an odd marketing choice for sure. Or but, is um, it so, like they didn't? I think because maybe they didn't know if it was greenlit. It is greenlit now. The sequel. Well, it would have been pretty awkward if they didn't greenlight it, considering where it ended. Not well, to I mean, we've, not to spoil we've it seen yet. Crazier but... things happen. That everybody hates Chris. <laughs> they left that on a cliffhanger, and then they just never got renewed. Unfortunately, see, that's that's a big problem i have with it and a lot of the people like criticizing people who didn't like it is that like oh well you know you have to wait for the next part like you can't judge it now it's a movie it, if it can't stand on its own like, you're gonna make a part one and that's where you're gonna end it <laughs> like yeah I, what if the sequel didn't get greenlit that, that that's supposed to stand on its own <laughs> i'm gonna defend it a little bit I have a, a quote here. It is from the movie. It says, The mystery of life isn't a problem to solve, but a reality to experience. And I, maybe that's part of the experience of this movie is just you're either kind of into the experience or you're not. Um, or maybe you're into some of it and not others. 
I myself was just not into it that much. I thought there were good elements here. I'm not. This is by no means a bad movie. No, it's an incredibly made movie. Uh, I, I I was not into it. Yeah, I know I went into it with pretty tempered expectations, but I think it was because I went into it thinking, even before it said Dune Part 1, thinking there was going to be a sequel and it was just going to be a part of a movie. So I am I was just there for the ride, you know, like not expecting it to be one, you know, I guess I wasn't expecting it to st- be able to stand on its own, so I'm, I'm not seeing it from that. That side I just of it. think that's bad idea as a movie. It's not having it it's, be able to stand on its own. I mean, it's. I mean, I think once I do think once all the parts are out, I think it'll be when it's able to be viewed as a whole piece of work. I I do think the reception will change. I mean, I get I get what you're saying about wanting it to stand on its own, but it, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was a risk. It was a risky move to take, breaking it up like that, and then not being forthcoming about it well it's paid off i mean it's done very well and i i would say tyler and i are in the in the minority here of not liking it that much um i do want to say just a general warning i think after this we're going to kind of move into some specific spoilery territory so uh if you are cautious of that i would say now is kind of the the marking point spoiler warning if you have not seen the following movie Please turn back or accept the consequences. All right, so what do we think of the performances here? We have Tim Chalamet as Paul, who's the titular character. Um, we have Rebecca Ferguson as Lady Jessica. Uh, were there performances that stood out to you guys? My The performance that stood out to me, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Matt. Go um, for it. Uh, I think Jason Momoa's. I think he was absolutely. They definitely underutilized him. I mean, his name was Duncan Idaho, which is incredible. <laughs> that's like, that's like the the trend of this year's movies, though. It's like take a great actor that does great things in a series and then just sideline him. Yeah, well, that, they did it with Laurie Strode. They did it with Ana de Armas yeah. and No Time to Die. Like, this is unrelated, but this reminded me of it. Like the the whole pretension for this people like this was a blockbuster with some of the biggest names in hollywood <laughs> people yeah. are treating it like oh you have to be like a genius to get this movie <laughs> it's it's yeah, a blockbuster with with tim chalamet and deo jason maboa oscar isaac it wasn't like this was like some indie film <laughs> there was not enough zendaya in this either I assume there will be more Zendaya in the I, next see, one. See, that was my main problem with the ending. We're in spoiler territory. Is you set up the whole Zendaya reveal only for that to be like all that she is in it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it turns out it is True. Zendaya. Yeah, like that's all she gets to do before the end of the, the movie. Be- well, look, the she's... best thing that could have happened is if Paul gets to the place and his dream woman is walking out of the dune, he goes, Robert Duvall. <laughs> It's all right. I mean, we'll be getting our Zendaya fix later on this year when Spider-Man comes out, so it's fine. Yeah, when the um, Shake It Up cast reunion happens. I want to say as far as the acting goes, though, I thought Tim Chalamet did a great Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> but that's Is that a good thing? <laughs> no. Okay. No, I was being sarcastic. But He, he did kill a sand person. His, <laughs> his best Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker. Um, wow take that take that how you will 
I mean, I thought everyone was good in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, for real though. Charlotte Ramping, Charlotte Rampling, really chilling. Yeah. Uh, is the hmm. is the Bene Gesserit um, who puts his hand in the box of ouchies. And... <laughs> what was in that box? That's what I was... It was. Uh, it was. Well, I won't, I won't say it. it's a spoiler for another movie. <laughs> It's a Chinese finger but, trap in there. He's like, oh no. <laughs> Dave Bautista was in this like a shockingly low amount. <laughs> like and the one lines. scene he had, he, what, what, did they just tell him like, Dave, just scream your lungs out. Don't hold back at all. I, I'm excited to see more of his character. Yeah. Because um, he does have this very brooding, like dark general, dark overlord kind of thing. Um, Stephen McKinley Henderson, I love seeing like his eyeballs roll in the back of his head so he can do like intergalactic computations on travel. <laughs> Anytime you get to see him is is wonderful. And polka dot uh, man. Was... Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> David Desmalchin, yeah, he was he was very good. Uh you said you didn't recognize him. I at did first, not right? recognize him though. I did. I, I thought Oscar Isaac was quite good. He was as, uh, the Duke yep. Leto Atreides. Um, the Jared Leto I, Atreides. Yeah. yeah, Jared Leto. Jared Jared Leto is an old Italian man. <laughs> Atreides. <laughs> oh, we did see the the Morbius trailer, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, that looks that looks interesting. Although they did yeah, confirm the MCU, right? Because uh, Vulture's I mean, it, in it. I'm, after Venom two, I have absolutely no hope for that movie. That that was your litmus test. <laughs> you thought Venom Two, 2 was going to be great. <laughs> I told you guys I'm very optimistic about things, but when when a cro- when a movie crosses a line, it crosses it. There's no redemption. All right, let's let's talk about the sandworms. <laughs> Did we care about the worms? My issue with this was that we saw the worm in the trailer, and that was about all the worm action that happened. There was no tension to the worm at all. <laughs> we knew the worms were coming true the worms are coming also the first scene with the worm where you just kept they just kept showing it like off in the distance i just like come on that's such a boring trope oh no we gotta get out of here the worm's over there (laughs) now it's over there (laughs) that was there was no danger posed by these yeah that was a the the build up to that was a little too long for me which was kind of like indicative of a lot of the stuff that went on there's such like fascinating elements to this the the score in this mm-hmm. uh hans zimmer did it it was so like uh you know this militaristic stuff and um but then it was it was just so drawn out with stuff that i i didn't think was necessary See, the lore that i enjoyed was learning about the fremen and i really wish they were in it more so we could kind of see the fremen like i know that's going to be in the second sequel obviously and on but yeah. i i mean i really was curious about them and then they just kind of showed up at the end and that was it do we this might be a little bit of a crossover question do we think that scorpion from mortal Kombat? has the voice of the Bene Gesserit when he says, get over that here. Is, yeah, that's dude. the Bene Gesserit. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think he's going to show up in part two. Yeah, that voice thing was just odd to me. It did not translate well. <laughs> yeah, that was... I would say that, yeah, the, that was one element I agree. It didn't... It makes sense in the book, and I'm not saying it doesn't make sense, in the movie, I just I don't know. I just, if he I used it on the... the worm, I would have been into it. Like that would have been cool. 
Well, although we do know what kind of worm that was. <laughs> it was an Alaskan bull worm. <laughs> That's not the monster. That's the monster. <laughs> oh, good old SpongeBob references. That would have made the whole thing for me. You know what? Gotta love that. Another this is most glaring issue for me was like there was no character development by anyone. Tim Chalamet a bit, no one else. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed Josh Brolin's character. His uh, kind of conflict between defending and being the aggressor and all that stuff. Uh, Momoa had his sort of little vigilante tangent which i thought was really cool yeah. mm-hmm. um again i didn't like the visual style of the shields i would have rather preferred momoa just freestyle going off on people uh but i i agree i can't say i really was super into any of the characters it's one of those where like anything could have happened to anybody yeah. and i would have gone okay i mean i feel like the more i think about it though it definitely was more blockbustery than a lot of it is like, oh, let's see what Jason Momoa does, or oh, let's see what Josh Brolin does, oh, let's see what Tim Shell. Like, I I saw them as just like, oh, a list actor here, a list actor here. Let's see how they interact versus like their actual character. Yeah, I know sense. what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Um, I will I I will defend the adaptation. I th- it was a good adaptation. I have to say, especially this is an incredibly difficult novel to adapt, um, and I I thought they did a good job. Um, are you as excited to see Dune Part 2? I'm not. No. I mean, I, I always give a movie a chance, yeah, but... I'll watch it, well, but... I mean, I'm, in, I'm invested this far, and I'm sure we're going to probably do it for the pod anyway, so yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't have a problem with it. See, I, keep, I thought it was fine. So I keep I'm, seeing I'm a in. lot of people say that about the source material. It's so hard to adapt. I'm like, oh yeah, there's no it character is. development in the source material. Then why adapt I it? Think, no, I think there is in the book. I think there is in the book. This it's eight hundred pages. There's, there's some room uh, for development. Thing, but no, I, I just, gotta I, ask I'm just going. I didn't read it, so I'm going off of what did I'm it, reading um, from other people. Does it go more into detail about where the sandworm came from, or what his backstory his <laughs> it was, what his thing is? Like maybe maybe do a Dune prequel with Tim Chalamet as the sandworm, as the sandworm. <laughs> instead of Wonka. I do want to shout out quickly, if anybody was ever a Togetherness fan, uh, HBO show a few years ago, they they tried to do a version of Dune. <laughs> so it was not just David Lynch and Denis Villeneuve. Uh, shout out to all the, the three Togetherness fans that are out there. You know, Are there any out there? You know, we should invite them really along not. with the Halloween Kills and uh, Halloween slash Housewives of Beverly Hills, yeah. We'll have ourselves a little six-person party. You know, it's a travesty here is that Dune is crushing it right now financially, yeah. but Blade Runner 2049 didn't. Yeah. Blade Runner 2049 like flopped, basically, and far superior movie by the same director. Yeah, and it has Gosling. Ana de Armas. Uh, Ana de Armas, <laughs> uh, which No Time to Die could use more of. All right, so I have to ask this. Was there not one hair tie on all of Arrakis? Because when Paul was fighting that Fremen towards the end, 
His hair was all up in his face. (laughs) Like, hanging right in front of his eyes. If they had done a POV shot, it would have just been hair all over the screen. Like, how did he see that man? Or was he just fighting by instinct? (laughs) That was... That was just a boring fight to me. I don't know if it was just the court. Like it's they're like grabbing each other. I will admit, I, I was pretty checked out by that point. Yeah, like, yeah. I, there was no emotional <laughs> stakes behind. It. He's never killed anyone. He's just like he stabs the yeah. dude. <laughs> like, and now, okay. he, and now he has. Okay, we got to wrap this up. It's been two and a half hours. <laughs> I thought People it was bored. gonna be. Thought it was gonna be a Karate Kid Part Two moment where he's like, "I'm not actually gonna kill yeah, you. I thought that's have to. to. No, I'm not." No, it's just like, ah, you know what, whatever. <laughs> Is it possible that Snoke was behind all of this? <laughs> could have been. Is... That could have been Snoke that was still in Scar's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter, he's just a puppet. That's actually Palpatine. Am I remembering it correctly? Yeah, that's that That was just Palpatine made up a guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what? There was no more, I, I just made him up. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> what a terrible villain. <laughs> but also he was like a projection, right? Like... I don't know. Why do you have like a deformed... Why do you make him have like a... <laughs> he just created him. <laughs> Did he watch a James know. Bond movie and he's like, oh. <laughs> that guy. He grabbed one of the extra replicants from Body Snatchers and just placed him. It's molding class with... <laughs> With Palpatine, he can't. He can't do art. That's what it is. Just everything in the in in Rise of Skywalker. Just I rolled my eyes at. It All right, we we're getting, Yeah, we we won't make it a Rise of Skywalker we, we pod. I, I need to rant. No need to reopen that wound right now. <laughs> All right. So, do what do we think? Predictions for Dune Two. Is it going to be more enjoyable? What's going to happen? What characters will survive? What do you guys think? I'm tempering my expectations. Uh, I mean, I'll see it when it comes out. I'm, I'm neither here nor there on it. it... So from the latest uh, that I saw, it will be coming out in 2023. Oh, wow. So I don't know, we will have to skip a year. I feel like it's going to... Time's going to pass. It's going to be almost... Uh, almost like October or whenever in 2023 comes out, we're going to be like, oh yeah, I forgot, Dune 2 is coming out this month. You, you think the oh, entirety like... of the Dune trilogy, if it is, is going to come out before the Avatar first sequel? I hope not. Mm, I hope so, honestly. I could care less about Avatar. No, I want to see Avatar. Uh, I mean, come on, we've been waiting this... I remember no. in 2009, in 2009 when I was still a kid, I, I saw Avatar... And then I was on Wikipedia, and it said, like, Avatar 2 coming in 2012. And even then, I was like, whoa, that's a long time, like three (laughs) years. Little did I know. Ten years later. I would be in for, and we still don't know when those are happening. Yeah, we have no idea. Are they even in production? (laughs) Is Sam Worthington still acting? (laughs) I'm sure he is. Highest grossing movie of all time. That or it's gonna be like Star Wars prequel tier, because it's just it, honestly though my my interest in Avatar died in like 2011. Yeah, that that he waited far too long, and everyone was like, "That's a, ma- a masterpiece of technical movie making," and then like it's garbage. 
<laughs> no one wants this, James. And he's like, no, give me ten more years. <laughs> it's coming, I swear. <laughs> I will say, when it comes to making money, do not bet against James Cameron. Uh, James Cameron's directed some of my favorite movies. Uh, <laughs> Aliens, Terminator 2. <laughs> I, I don't knock James Cameron. I just don't Underrated like James Cameron movie, True Lies. Great movie. True Lies is phenomenal. <laughs> I love True Lies, yeah. yes. All right. <laughs> we're really, really <laughs> we're, drifting we're from Dune. Uh, Matt, you posed this question. Was this movie hindered by the direct-to-streaming model? Oh, yes, I did. I did uh, say that. And what do you think? I mean, I, I guess not. I mean, looking at the yeah. numbers it's pulling, I guess I guess it wasn't. But um... So I did see this in a movie theater. Um, and I'm glad that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, obviously it, it didn't do anything to increase my wonder. No, I agree with that, but I also think it would have been a lesser experience because the score, the visuals would have been definitely lessened. And I think that was the best thing it had going for it for me. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I say that, but then at the same time, I'm like, you know, I probably, I do want to see it again. So maybe on like $5, movie day or something i'll go check it out one more time to just get the full experience but it did make it really convenient to fit into my schedule this week so i can't complain about that so will you will you miss it next year when the i don't because i don't believe that warner brothers is doing the direct to hbo max thing next year um yeah probably at least for ones that like we're we're watching because they're they're there like especially like if we had like if like if we had to cover those who wish me dead but it was only available in theaters i would have been like i would have been a little more uh i would have remembered what i didn't like about that movie much more yeah i had to pay to go see it (laughs) um i agree that i I will miss it as well just because like it definitely took some movies that i wouldn't have gone out to the theaters to see but Mm -hmm, like i mean i just throw them on and you know watch it at home because it's convenient so I think Maybe, definitely... uh, late in the year we could do a a little recap of all the HBO Max Warner Tom Brothers releases. I I would have to watch Tom and Jerry, I would have so to maybe as well. <laughs> maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe we can exclude Tom and Jerry. <laughs> I also what I about no sudden move. That was I, like I, I like no sudden yeah, move. Yeah, that one was good. I also didn't see Cry Macho. Usually, oh, I did yeah. not. Yeah. Does that mean that you saw it? I don't think I could finish it, honestly. I didn't finish it. Oh. <laughs> Did you just pass out? <laughs> no, I just wasn't... I wasn't feeling it. Is it because it's... It, Clint Eastwood shouldn't act anymore? Because yeah, that's old. literally that's literally it. It's like... It's, it's like watching... It's like watching an animal that got run over by a car. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, that's a good man. <laughs> but it didn't quite get killed. <laughs> just, just, just struggling. That's rough. <laughs> All right, so Dune, Matt, do you recommend it? Yeah, I. If you're, if you're, looking for um, like a spectacle, yeah, for sure. It was a spectacle. It was something to see. I wouldn't go into it with such high expectations like it's the best movie of the year. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would put it toward the top, maybe like middle top of the middle tier of movies I've seen this year. But um, I can't I can't say don't go see it. I'd say definitely go see it if you're curious about it. Then by all means, go see it. Yeah, please support support movies. Uh, try them out. We we could be completely and totally wrong, but. Having said that, Tyler, would you recommend this? I'd rather be doing anything else. Uh, stop. All right, that's <laughs> done. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised we really haven't gotten more Dune puns in this. That that would already. be your like <laughs> your little excerpt on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> It'd just be like four stars, a, a visual masterpiece. Like, yeah. and I'm just. I'd rather be doing anything else. <laughs> Um, I don't. I, it's tough for me to recommend or not recommend because I never know how any person is going to react to any movie. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this: I did not enjoy it. How I'll did you? That. Did you enjoy the book, though? That's the question. Yes, I do enjoy the book. Okay. The book is. It, you have to be like a. I would. I don't. You don't have to be, but it helps if you are a deep sci-fi fan. I wouldn't pick this up as a beach read, mm-hmm. um, but I, I like it a lot. So I definitely recommend the book, and there are many mm-hmm. sequels. Uh, to the book if you're into the lore all right so please matt where can we find you online all right you can find me at maddie m-a-t-t-y x sturds s-t-u-r-d-z um that's on instagram twitter instagram twitter and oh i made a letterbox too i haven't written any reviews yet because i haven't really felt like putting the time in to actually review anything but i've been rating them as i go and kind of building up my portfolio on there so feel free to check it out i already have tyler where can we find you online uh instagram and twitter at tyler t-y-l-e-r sutkus s-u-t-k-u-s and completely unrelated but this is a perfect film watch it robocop the original okay robocop (laughs) all right Uh, kerwood smith just has one of the best lines that there's ever been I won't say what it is. I watched it a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, God damn, this is the greatest film ever. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) You can find me online on Instagram and Twitter, Michael underscore Gallet. That's G-A-L-A-T. I'm on Letterboxd at MGallet. Thank you guys so much for being here. We love talking with you guys. Uh, Please come back next time, and please, more Sunny D in movies. See you guys next time. Take care. See ya. Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sukkis, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay, logo design by Nathan Seidel.